Here's the encouragement ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. You know, the finish line in your mind of what changes you want to see the Lord do is way up there. It's almost to the point where you can't see it. It's around a bend, and you don't even know how far it is after that. But I'm here to remind you, don't just look at how far you have to go, but be encouraged by how far you've come. Be encouraged what God has done in your life. Be encouraged what God is doing in your life. And yeah, we stumble and fall. The Bible says so. We stumble and fall in our decisions and our mouth, and that, that's part of life. But I'm encouraged that I'm not as bad as I used to be. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You As believers in Christ, we're to continually grow and move forward in our relationship with the Lord. And at times, we need someone to come alongside us to help us in that endeavor. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see that those with the gift of exhortation specialize in this. They help others apply the truth. Pastor Ed Taylor will key in on this wonderful gift that's not always appreciated as it should be. Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2 as Paul is reminding us that we all have these differing spiritual gifts. That as believers, God has given to each one of us at least one of these spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12. Why? To represent Jesus in the world today. To be used of him and represent his love, his care, his ministry until he returns a second time. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we're reminded of the very root of God's relationship with us. I draw your attention to verse 8, where Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is God alone that saves. He's the one to intervene in our lives. He's the one that changed us. He's the one that gave us new life. And it's our faith that connected with his grace. Then he says this in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you haven't already, mark the word workmanship in verse 10. It's the Greek word poema. And yes, it is the Greek word from which we get our English word, poem. So if you think of it that way, you could say that God is saying of us that, that we are his poem. God is writing out our lives as a poem. And that he's not done yet. God has prepared these things beforehand. And one of the ways that he's writing out his will in our lives is the exercise of spiritual gifts of how we're used in his kingdom. Now, someone read this once and said, they don't feel much like God's poetry. They feel more like they're a comic book in their lives, where their lives are one comic episode after another. And that could reflect. You know, poems aren't the easiest to understand. It, it drew me back to high school English. I was taking high-level high school English classes, and one of the things that the teachers would always do is lay these poems down before us and say, tell us what you think he's saying, or tell, you, tell us what you think she's saying. And I have to say, I would read through those poems and go, I have no idea what they're saying. 
I, don't, I can't figure out what this means and why they would say this and why, what the blue sky means. And I'd always peek over on one of the gals in our class that really understood poems. And then I'd listen carefully and try to pretend that I knew. But our lives are sometimes... Now, you know, I didn't get a lot of response for service from that either. Not even from your faces. Are you guys telling me that in high school they didn't drop poems on you and tell you to explain them? Yes or no? Did, are you guys all understood them? Like, oh, I got an A in English. I'm sorry. I was good, at e. I was good with grammar. But the poems would just throw me. And, and the way they used words and, and, you know, our lives are like that. And what's the best way to understand a poem than to get to know the author and ask them directly, what do you do in my life? What does this mean? What does this reflect? And as we're his poem, the Lord's working us out. And even if you do have a comic step, you know, mistake here, a stumble there, listen, God still loves you. He still cares for you. He's still standing with you and standing by you. He's still sustaining you. His promise is still true that he's never going to leave or forsake you. And the good news is, is he knows the end. We may not know the end. So much of our life is filled with frustration because we're trying to understand things that we simply can't understand. We want an explanation. And so the frustration in our lives causes us to cry out for an explanation. But I was reading re recently, and I thought it was so good is that God, you know, in times of difficulty, times of trial, times of stumbling and such, God, he doesn't give explanations. He gives revelation. He reveals more of himself to us. Our relationship grows deeper with him. That as we are seeking for explanations, you know, in all of eternity, things will make sense. That's one of the things I'm hoping and I'm looking forward to in heaven. So when we're in heaven, things are going to make sense. Things don't make sense now so much. We don't quite understand but I just know in the presence of the Lord, it's going to make sense. I'm going to understand his plan. And you know, when people look at the church, and when we look at the church, when we look at ourselves, it's very easy to just focus on the imperfections because there are many. You know, this isn't perfect over here, and they're not perfect, and we have, you know, one of the greatest uh, accusations, one of the greatest things against the church, not just our church, but the church is all the inconsistencies. And I'm sure you've heard this, you know, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrisy. You know, it's not an, that's not an unusual statement and it's, it's not always untrue. There are hypocrisies among us. There are inconsistencies in our life. Why? Because God is not done with us. He, he's not, he's not finished. We're not the finished product. This isn't heaven. We're still on earth, and earth is wrecked by sin. And you and I, we are wrecked by our own flesh and the weakness of our flesh. The truth is, though, in all the inconsistencies and all the hypocrisies, hey, the truth is that they wouldn't believe how bad we used to be. You know, they think it's bad now, but how bad we used to be apart from the Lord. It's almost like heaven would say, you know, where you, it's easy to pick out this mistake and this problem and this inconsistency and this hypocrisy. And it's easy for us to, you know, that's not good and that's not right. But it's almost like the Lord from heaven is saying, wait a minute, they're not as bad as they used to be. They're so much farther along. Some of you right now are very discouraged in your life because you see how far you have to go. And it's a distance. You know, the finish line in your mind of what changes you want to see the Lord do is way up there. It's almost to the point where you can't see it. It's around a bend, and you don't even know how far it is after that. But I'm here to remind you, don't just look at how far you have to go, but be encouraged by how far you've come. Be encouraged what God has done in your life. Be encouraged what God is doing in your life. And yeah, we stumble and fall. The Bible says so. We stumble and fall in our decisions and our mouth, and that, that's part of life. 
but I'm encouraged that I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm not as bad as I was before I knew the Lord, before I was born again. And how wonderful is the work of God in our lives. So moving over now to Romans chapter 12 with that in mind, we're going to go on to the fourth spiritual gift. And prayerfully, by the time we're done, many of you will know where you fit in the body because this is your gift. And by way of review, pick up with me in verse 3, Romans chapter 12. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let's use them. And here was gift number one by way of review. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. We defined the gift of prophecy as declaring the truth. That God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take his word and really cause it to shine and make it come alive in a particular person in a particular situation. The next gift we looked at is in verse 7, the gift of ministry. He says, let us use it in our ministry. If you haven't already, we also ask you to circle the word ministry. This is the gift of service. The gift of service. We define the gift of service as practicing the truth. And we learn that God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to serve and serve and serve. It's just what God has made you to do. Then the next gift is mentioned with one we looked at last time, he who teaches in teaching. The definition of this gift is explaining the truth. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to teach the Bible in a way that can be understood in its meaning and also understood in how to apply it in our lives. The next gift mentioned is the one we'll look at today in verse 8. He who exhorts in exhortation. This is the gift of exhortation. And we're going to follow the same pattern we have in each of the studies. We're going to look at a biblical definition of it and some of the characteristics of that gift. Then secondly, we're going to look at it operating in the life of Jesus. Then thirdly, we're going to look at it operating in the life of the early church. And then finally, we're going to look at some of the pitfalls and some of the dangers for the person that has this gift. And today we have a little bit more to add as this gift really reflects too of how we sit down with someone and open the word with them. So I've got a few things of encouragement at the end of our study today. So here's the definition. The definition of the gift of exhortation is applying the truth. Applying the truth. And often works together with the gift of teaching. Where teaching explains the truth, Exhortation applies the truth. The word exhort literally means, as we've learned in, in the book of Corinthians, to strengthen, encourage, or comfort. And the idea behind exhortation is that you're coming alongside someone to help them move forward in their walk in Jesus Christ. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to help people apply the truth of God's word in their everyday living. This is what the Bible says, and this is what it looks like active and alive in your life. And how we need this gift. We need it operating and active more and more in our church family. We, we don't use the word exhortation that much today. It's been replaced by a couple of other words that will be very relatable to you. The gift of exhortation is often manifested through a discipleship relationship. 
where you're coming alongside someone to disciple them and help them grow in their walk with the Lord. So a discipler is someone that teaches you the things of Jesus Christ. Or you might even see this gift working and manifesting through what is known today as a mentor relationship. A lot of times people that are mentors that want to come alongside and train, they have this gift. And a mentor is someone who would advise you and help lead you in your Christian life. The Christian who exhorts is divinely gifted with a special ability. Just have those people in your life that have the special ability to help you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. There are two complementary giftings when we think of exhortation, like two sides of the coin. The first side is this gift of encouragement. I mean, who doesn't like someone that comes alongside and encourages you? I mean, you might be right now isolated. You're, you're not even in the room. Uh, you're not even in the building here. You're listening on the radio. You might even be sitting in the parking lot in your car. You're not really wanting to talk to people, but you also do want to press into the things of the Lord. And you're just asking God right now, would you just send someone to encourage me? I'm, I'm so beat and so beat down and I'm so tired and, and, and it's so heavy and hard. And then the Lord just answers that prayer and sends you someone and encourages you. He says, it's going to be okay. I love you. The Lord loves you. Let's get through this together. Let's go get a cup of coffee. And you're like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. And if you're an encourager today, let me just say, everybody likes you. There isn't a person that doesn't like an encourager. You're just so like, like Barnabas in the Old Testament, or excuse me, in the book of Acts, Barnabas. He's just such an encourager. He was known as the son of encouragement. And if that's your gifting, we love you. Everybody loves you. There's another side to that coin. And that's the gift of exhortation. And let me just say this. Not everybody likes those that exhort. <laughs> if you have the gift of exhortation, I'm sorry, but not everybody likes you. Not everybody appreciates you even as you're operating exactly the way the Lord, the Lord would have you in his body. While the encourager lifts up, helps you get up back on your feet, the exhorter pushes you on and moves you forward. And even as I do this illustration of pushing you on, some of you are like, I don't like to be pushed. <laughs> I don't like to be nudged. I mean, think about it. You're in the, the line at Safeway here, and you're three behind you, and a person comes up behind you, and just they, the, the, the thing went on the counter there, and the food's moving forward, and they don't ask you to move up. They don't whisper to you if you move up. They come up behind you and just give you a little push. You're going to like that? You're like, what the? You take your bread, and bam, you're like, what do you? And there's a fight in Safeway. Got your Grace FM shirt on, and... You know, it's just, no, nobody likes to be pushed, not even a gentle push. And in the spirit, I mean, let's face it. If somebody, if God, you're crying out for that person to encourage you and God sends you an exhorter where they're doing the same thing. I, God loves you. It's time to get up and move on. But then they have a word for you and say, you know what? One of the issues right now is because you're just being selfish. And any of you know in, in those times of discouragement, it's easy to fall over the line. It's real discouragement, but it can also be really selfish in our lives. And so the Lord just gives a gentle word and you're like, selfish? You don't know what's going on in my... And you're just like, hey, I just came with the word. I love you. Take time out of my life to come and speak to you. And while the encourager lifts up, the exhorter moves on, and not everybody wants to move on. A lot of people like to stay right where they're at. A lot of people don't want to be nudged and pushed. A lot of people don't want to hear hard truths when they need to hear them. But they're complementary. We need both in the body. A person with the gift of exhortation loves people. They love you. If God sends you one, they love you. The reason they come to you because they love you. And... He or she loves being around people, loves talking to people. 
A lot of times a gift of, person with the gift of exhortation likes that one-on-one -on -one time where you just get away and we just talk about the things that are one-on-one. -on -one. Exhorters are typically available people and you just make yourself available. You seem to always be ready to meet with you, sometimes even dropping other important things to rush over and talk things through with you or pray with you. Exhorters have the God-given ability to see potential in people where they'll see potential in people that you don't even see in yourself. You don't even recognize it in your own life. They can see what can be more than just what's emphasizing where people are in the moment. Exhorters generally are sensitive to people's feelings, even though in the moment you may not feel that way because the word seems strong. Or you might interpret that what they're sharing with you is insensitive, but it was actually them operating in their gift and they care about you and they love you and they are sensitive about your feelings, but they're also zealous for the truth and want to see you really grow in the things of God. They generally like to be careful and thoughtful in how they share something, very prayerful ahead of time. If they have a meeting, they're very prayerful, wanting to make sure that they say the right thing. Exhorters can see past the outward in someone's life and see the problems in people's lives and want to really help solve them. They tend to go a little bit deeper than just surface conversations because they really want to help. And they really believe God has a word for you through their lives to move you forward in this season of your walk. And it's really cool to see. You know, a lot of times, uh, those of you with the gift of exhort exhortation, you may have a burden for new believers. And you're thinking, it might be a conversation on the way home is, I wonder who's going to follow up with them. I hope they're going to be okay. I wonder if they're still walking with the Lord. What is the church doing to help them? And you might even be drawn to the prayer team so you can be a part of their lives and go through the packet with them and give them your phone number or your email so you can follow up with new believers and encourage them in the things of the Lord. Now, turn over to Revelation chapter 2, and we'll see this in operation in the life of Jesus in two different places. Jesus, part of his ministry was definitely the ministry of exhortation. And a lot of times, the ministry of exhortation surround, is surrounded by the need for repentance. Because not only do we like to stay settled and comfort, comfortable in where we are, there is a tendency at times for us to lack repentance in our lives to really believe in our heart of hearts that we don't need to repent. We see many other people that need to repent in our lives, but not us. And so God will send an exhorter, whether it's through a Bible study or through a person, through your spouse, through your kids, through an unbeliever that will lead you to like, you know, that, that's not really Christ-like. You need to move forward from this and not be stuck in this rut. And that's what Jesus is doing here with these churches in the book of Revelation. The first church he gives a strong exhortation to is the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, verse 1, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You've persevered, you have patience, and you've labored for my namesake. Now imagine getting a letter like that, stopping there for a moment, from Jesus, and you're just sitting there going, yes, I serve the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We're, we want to labor for you. We've been patient. We don't mess around with false doctrine. And then in the very next breath, Jesus says, but I have this against you. That word, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. That's, a, that's an exhortation. Nevertheless, you got a lot of good going on in your life, but I see something that needs to be addressed, Jesus says. You've left your first love. You've walked away from that love relationship with me. You have walked away from that intimacy. You know, on many occasions, the Lord has used this scripture to minister to my heart, to rebuke me. Just recently, 
the Lord has been really speaking to my heart about increasing in my prayer time. Oh, I'm not a prayerless person, but I, I want to dive deeper into my relationship with the Lord. And, and relationships grow by time and attention. And, and just sharing my heart with the one that saved me. Just sharing my heart with the things that are going on in my life. Just, just really trusting him and believing in the word. And so part of that, the Lord used my wife. She's been using this phrase that's been resonating with my heart as we're talking about things and we're praying through things and we're talking about difficulties. She says, you know, Ed, we just need to believe. I just got to believe the word. You know, Ed, you're a pastor. You're like, you don't know that? No, I do know that, but I need to hear it. We just need to believe. I just believe the word when it says this and I just need to believe it. And isn't that so true? It's a building up of our faith. Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. And I wonder in your own life, if you have walked away from your first love, if it's been replaced by something else, because we're all on the wheel, you know, we're all being built and we're all being fashioned and we're all, and God is constantly wanting to get our attention. And this is, here's the answer. The exhortation gets heavier. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. And then what's your next word in your Bible? What does it say? Repent. Repent out of your own lips. Repentance. And then go back and do the first works. Turn to chapter 3, verse 1. The angel of the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now that's just straight up. They're, they're in bad shape. They think they're alive, but they're spiritually dead. If you were to drive by their church or talk to them, they would have the appearance of having a relationship with the Lord. But rather than a relationship with the Lord, they are lifeless. They are disconnected. They're going through the motions with no relationship with God. Except Jesus comes and says, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Remember, therefore, verse 3, how you received and heard, hold fast. What's the next word? And repent. Thank you for joining us today as we study through the Gospel of John and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. Pastor Ed, this is our final opportunity to talk about our pick of the month, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. How has God personally encouraged you through the reading of this book? Yeah, you know, every book, Larry, that Scott Sauls has written has greatly encouraged me, and I'm always looking for new books. Uh, I, I've experienced, you know, quite a bit of pain in my life, in particular, uh, my son Eddie passing away uh, nine years ago and all the drama that goes along with that and the difficulties that still exist to the, to this day directly related to his loss. And I just think, man, I'm always looking for encouragement and strength. I want to stay close to the Lord. He, here's the thing I've learned. I want to stay far away from my problems and as close to the Lord as I can. I want to keep my eyes off my problems. I want to keep my eyes on the Lord. Those are not just cliches in the daily pressure, the daily warfare, the, the daily need to take every thought and the captivity to the obedience of Christ. These are parts of my, I, I want to stay strong. So I find books like this and I love his approach. I love his writing style. I love his insights. You know, whenever you read a book, you got to chew the meat, spit out the bones. Uh, there's always a few bones in the books that aren't the Bible. Um, but man, the, the meat is so rich 
and so strong. And God uses, God has placed this brother on the earth to write a few books that just truly give us a different perspective of what it means that God is going to use all things, all things. See, nothing is wasted by God. And I encourage you to pick it up. Uh, you know, I encourage you to read a lot because you never know what part of what book is going to bless you. And on our website, uh, really at our stores, calvaryco.store, calvaryco.store is a very curated, trustworthy collection of books. It's not an ex exhaustive bookstore, but a very small, precise, a couple hundred copy, a couple hundred books that we have that will help you. You, anyone that you anywhere you want to grow in grace and discipleship, that's the place. Calvaryco.store and start your reading process. So the Lord will use it, encourage you, and strengthen you. God bless you. That's Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls. Today is the last day we'll be offering it. So go to calvaryco.store and we'll process your order right away. We'll return to the Gospel of John next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.